Well, good morning. This morning, we want to continue talking about uh, financial management from a Christian worldview. And last time we talked about what God blesses. And so now we want to talk this time about what God doesn't bless. And you may recall that last time we focused in on Psalm chapter one, which is the seminal Psalm, I think, that talks about blessing. It says there that if you align with God, you will be blessed. If you don't align with God, you will be judged. It's kind of a very binary conversation. It's one of those things you, you just put it out there in front of people and then you ask any questions. It's just that profound and that clear. So we want to talk about the things that will that are not a blessing, things that don't align with God, and particularly the things that bring about poverty. Because basically, when you don't get blessed by God, you're going to be poor in some sense. For example, if you're spiritually not blessed, then you're going to have eternal, eternal life in the lake of fire. That's judgment. If you're mentally not blessed, you're going to be tormented. If you're socially not blessed, you'll be a, an outcast and never find any peace in society at all. If you're physically not blessed, then you'll never have any relief from physical maladies. And if you're financially not blessed, you will always struggle with financial resources. So we call that poverty. So I want to just take a few minutes and uh, talk about poverty from a Christian perspective. So let me uh, get over to the slide I want to show you here. Uh, this slide here is about basically pointing out the common thinking about poverty is that poverty is rooted in mistakes or calamities or bad luck or something like that. But from a Christian worldview, poverty is not rooted in these things. Poverty is rooted in one thing, and that is sin, which is disobedience to the will and the ways of God. So Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 20 is an example of this truth where, G, uh, where God is telling the Israelites right before they entered the promised land that if they would obey him, they would be blessed. In every way, they would be blessed. In the prior verses, he, he, would, he made that point very clear. And now in these verses, he's saying, if you don't obey me, then you will be judged. It gets back to the same thing Psalm 1 says, alignment with God leads to blessings and misalignment or, or rebellion against God leads to curses and judgment. Now, poverty is really a rampant problem all over the world. Uh, so here's some, some data that's kind of interesting about it. Uh, looking at the world population and considering various definitions of poverty, you could take a definition, for example, of $1.25 a day. If, if all you have is $1.25 or less, then uh, most people would say that's poverty. Well, uh, about 20% of the world lives on $1.25 a day or less. Well, what if you raise it to $1.45? Well, it goes up a little bit. If you raise it to $2 a day, it goes up even more. How about $2.50? Well, now you're up to about half of the world lives on $2.50 a day. Now, this is well, as of 2005, so it'd be a little different today. But still, a major portion of the world is living on $2.50 a day. How about $10 a day? $10 a day, 80% of the world lives on $10 a day or less. So I think this is, should be fairly persuasive that poverty is a huge problem in the world. Now, I know that there are people, benevolent people out there, or seemingly benevolent people, 
who think that they are doing a lot of good in reversing the poverty in the world. The problem is they're throwing money at, 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 at the problem and not recognizing the real problem is misalignment with God. As long as you're misaligned with God, there, w- there will be no blessing. There will be no blessing at all. There will only be curses and judgment. So let's take a look at some examples of poverty here and how it's rooted in sin. All right, the starting point for thinking about, um, about poverty is idolatry. Idolatry is kind of the overarching sin. Um, Deuteronomy 28, 47 through 48 says, because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity, therefore in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. So you can see God is very serious about being the God. He's not interested in any competition. He's interested in total obedience. And one of the ways that he will respond to us would we refuse to give him total obedience is he will then judge us in terms of our financial prosperity. So idolatry is, again, one of the core sins that drives this. But there are a lot of other examples of how idolatry plays out in other sins. For example, not fulfilling your assignment. That is a way that that sin interferes with the blessing of God in our lives in every way. So Proverbs 28, 19 says, he who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. You see, working your land is working what God has called you to do, doing what he's put in your hand to do. And chasing fantasies is just man-made concocted ideas that we might pursue that have nothing to do with the call of God in our life. So when we try to chase fantasies, that will only lead to poverty. God will not bless that financially. He won't bless it spiritually. He won't bless it emotionally. He won't bless it you know, eternally. There's nothing there, no blessing there. The blessing comes from doing the will of God. And he has a will for every person and every organization. And he has ways he wants his will done. So those are the, the tools that we use to align with him. His will done his ways will bring forth a blessing. Another example is sexual immorality. Now, during the scriptural times, uh, the sexual immorality was largely things like adultery and fornication. Uh, Homosexuality uh, was not very common, doesn't appear to be very common. Transgenderism, I don't know if there's any reference even to transgenderism in the scripture. That's a form of of sexual immorality that was un- recorded in scripture, but certainly by implication, it is there. So we have the scripture telling us that if you are in adultery or you are fornicating, you are squandering your wealth. That will lead to poverty. So you can extrapolate that. That's the principle is that sexual immorality leads to poverty. So in our current time, what we're doing is divorce Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, homosexual marriage, transgenderism, all of those things. I would also put in here abortion. All of these things are sexually immoral. 
Abortion is little more than legalized sexual immorality. So when you recognize all of these things that are culturally now acceptable are sin to God, you can see that the setup for a financial collapse is there. We are we're facing that. That's a looming situation, and increasingly people are beginning to raise the concern. And one of the ways it's been accelerated this year has been the great increase in the federal debt. You do understand that at some point, the federal government will run out of capacity to borrow money. And even, they may try to print money, which that's a euphemism. They don't really print money. They just, they use electronics to do what they do with money. And when that happens, then hyperinflation is likely to take hold. And we're going to lose control of the economic system. And we'll probably have a great reset. Assets will be totally reset uh, downward a dramatic amount. And we'll have a totally a new financial system to have to deal with. So what we're used to is probably going away. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen. And a large part of this is because of the sexual immorality that's being embraced by the culture. Another example of sin is being a sluggard. This is a pretty common one, and most people understand this one fairly readily. Sexual immorality is not as common to understand, for people to understand, because they're used to thinking that what God has called sin is really not sin. I mean, they don't know what God's standards are anymore. But we do understand that you've got to work hard. Most people understand that. So Proverbs 6, 10 through 11, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Yeah, you have to be diligent, you have to be vigilant, you have to be faithful, you have to work hard. Uh, all of those things are necessary. If you don't, then you're going you're gonna to have poverty. Then you have being stingy or being greedy. Proverbs eleven twenty four: One man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. So when you have a Christian view of resources, you understand the resources are really not for you. The resources are to fund the will of God. So when you begin to view resources accordingly and know that God has a will for everything, he has a will for your standard of living, what, what you live, what vacation you take, what car you drive, what house you live in, where you live, you know, what vocation you're in. He has a will for your giving, for who you support, and uh, what, what strategies he wants you to engage with, what organizations you, you're involved with. He's got a will for everything. So your resources, not only your money, but your time, your talent, and your money, and even the technology that you have. All of these are resources that God has given you, and we're called to now be seeking the will of God, to use them as God would direct us, and not just be greedy and stingy and think there's not going to be enough, and i got to hold on to it. So that will lead to poverty when you think like that. Another, another source of poverty is a failure to save. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. But a foolish man devours all he has, Proverbs 21, 20. You see, wise people recognize that building resources is part of their call. It's not for them. It's for the purpose of God. And you may be building resources that you're going to pass on to your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren that will help them do something that God has called them to do. So that's one of the reasons that you save. You also save because things can happen, unexpected events. And unexpected events require unexpected resources. So when God gives you what looks like 
uh, an, what you might call an abundance of resources. That is not an abundance. It's provision. It's provision. And Christianity, the definition of provision and prosperity or abundance is the same. The world wouldn't see them the same. The world will say provision is kind of having the minimum you need to do what you're called to do. And abundance is having far more than what you need to do what you're called to do. In Christianity, no, it isn't. Provision is having what you need to do what you're called to do. And prosperity is having what you need to do what you're called to do. You see, provision is always prospering in Christ. So what are the ways that we are we provide for ourselves and we provide for those we're called to serve is being wise and stewarding our resources and saving and investing. A lack of discipline. Proverbs 13, 18. He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. You see, you're never going to be wise. You're never going to be resourceful. You're never going to be building what you need to build if you're not disciplined. And you have to be correctable. Everybody needs to be correctable. No one's got all the answers. We have to have wise people in our lives that can correct us and guide us into alignment with the will and ways of God. It's not alignment with the world. It's not alignment with best practices. It's not alignment with the best idea. It's alignment with the principles of the word of God that guide us in how to live righteously before God. And as we do that, God funds his will and he provides what we need to do what we're called to do. This is why we need to be disciplined so that we are continually being growing and maturing and shaped like Christ. Then we have hedonism. Hedonism is a love of pleasure. So Proverbs 21, 17 says, he who loves pleasure would become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. When your focus is on pleasure, when it becomes an idol in your life, it becomes the agenda. It becomes the priority. It becomes the goal of what you're shooting for. You are worshiping hedonism. Hedonism is is an idol. It is a very prominent idol in the cultures we are in today. And so we have to recognize hedonism as as the enemy, the enemy of good stewardship. It's the enemy of truly walking with God. It's the enemy of alignment with God. And repent of that and turn to God and know that whatever pleasure he grants us is a gift. Life is not about pleasure. Life is not about fun. Life is about obedience to God, and there will be sacrifice, and there will be pain, and there will be times of great joy and delight as well. But we don't seek. We don't seek great joy and delight. We don't seek great pleasure. We don't seek comfort and convenience. We seek him, and he provides what we need to do what we're called to do. And along the way, that will require discipline, and that will require correction. Another example is talk without action. Proverbs 14, 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. You've probably seen the people that they can talk a good game, but they can't deliver anything. Well, just because you talk about something doesn't mean you've done it. Uh, You know, doing things, action is there are tasks that are to be done. It's not just about talking about, about them. It's about finding what God has called you to do and doing those things well for his glory. So this is the charge. You can't you can't talk your way into alignment with God. 
you act your way into alignment with God, and talking is part of it, but it is not in and of itself the way to go. We want to be, be trained to act properly, act righteously, and talk righteously. How about haste? Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Haste means you're impatient. You don't trust God for the timing. You think you've got to make things happen. And so you are pushing and striving. You know, there, there is a balance. We want to be diligent about seeking the Lord, but not striving. We seek the Lord and we, we patiently wait for the Lord to bring things together, whether it's a forming a new unit and a, a man and a wife coming together in the covenant of marriage, that it takes patience for that to happen properly, whether it's building you know, your, your understanding and wisdom in some field so you can work that professionally. That takes time and patience. You can't instantly be trained. You have to submit to the training process. Same way like a farmer growing, growing his food. He can't plant it one day and harvest it the next. He's got to go through the whole process of it germinating, growing, and finally uh, blossoming to where you can harvest it, and then it's, it's uh, something that's edible. So this is a picture for us. We have to be patient and wait on the Lord. Haste does not serve the purpose of God. Haste is impatience, and haste will only lead to poverty. Oppressing the poor, Proverbs twenty-two sixteen. He who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth, and he who gives gift to the rich, both come to poverty. You see, when I use people and abuse people just to make money, I have oppressed people, and that will lead to poverty. The flip side of that is the second half of the verse. He who gives gifts to the rich will also come to poverty. Giving gifts to the rich is brown nosing. We're trying to manipulate people with our gifts, with our compliments, with our, with our thinking or with our, what we say about them, what we write about them, what we share with, to others about them. Whatever way we can brown nose, you need to know that does not lead to blessing. That leads to poverty. These are just an ex a set of examples. This is not a comprehensive list. You can open up the book of Proverbs, for example, and just start reading and write down every time it talks about something leading to poverty in there, and you'll see it's going to be sin. Sin against the Lord in some way always leads to poverty. Now, some examples of how that actually works out is things like an inheritance quickly gained. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 21 says that inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. And so an example of this would be some studies that have been done about wealth transfer. And here's a quote from one study. We know from studies of our own internal research that when new wealth is created in a family, there is a 90% probability that all of that wealth will be gone by the third generation. 90% probability. And, the quote, and then furthermore, it goes on to quote, the reality is that 70% of all lottery winners, now we're talking about the lottery. We talk about generational transfer of wealth. Now he's talking about lottery. 70% of all lottery winners will squander away their winnings in a few years. I've actually seen number, numbers as high as 90%. In the process, they will see family and friendships destroyed 
and the financial security they hope for disappear. This is what happens when you inherit resources and you don't have the stewardship skills to manage those resources. An inheritance quickly gained, that is gained before you have the maturity and the God-given resources, stewardship skills to manage it correctly will only lead to poverty. Another example of how this works out is greed. Greed is a form of idolatry. Uh, Colossians 3, 5 says this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Greed is an expression of idolatry. In the uh, movie Wall Street, I believe it was a 1987 production, uh, there's a fictitious character named Gordon Gecko in the movie, but he spoke at a shareholders meeting of Teldar Paper, a fictitious company, and he's making a point to this board of directors, and that point was that greed was good, that greed clarifies, that greed purifies, that greed would effectively make the company more profitable. That was his mindset. Of course, he got that from Adam Smith's philosophy. Adam Smith was an 18th century theologian and philosopher spoke, who uh, wrote extensively on economics. Uh, in fact, his work on economics is the foundation of modern, uh, modern capitalism as viewed by many. So it's that idea that greed has value that is in the eyes of many today. That's why greed, they don't see greed as a sin. But the reality is greed is sin. Greed is all about depending on us and using money to do our will and to serve us. Greed is never about serving God. It's always about us, which is why greed is so bad. Greed leads to judgment. James 5, 1 through 3 and verse 5 says this very clearly. So I'll just read that to you. Now listen, you rich people. He's talking about those who have financial resources. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. In other words, judgment's coming on you. And here's the reason. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. In other words, they're greedy. Your gold and silver are corroded. You're not utilizing this to serve the purpose of God and others. You're hoarding it. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have lived in, in, on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, self-indulgence, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You see, there's going to be a great judgment coming on greedy people. And that's why it leads will lead to poverty, because poverty will be the end. And, and finally, you'll, you'll also see there are various uh, illicit work activities that will lead to poverty. Now, normally we think of illicit work as pornography and gambling and drugs and alcohol, tobacco, those kinds of things. But there's more ways to to be engaged in illicit work. Um, You know, human trafficking is one way. I didn't list that here in the slide, but I could have listed that. It is a form of using people, but probably the more prominent form of using people that most of us have seen has been multi-level marketing. That's a very toxic uh, form of of abusing people. Basically, most multi-level park marketing, and I realize there may be some exceptions, but most of them, basically, it's convincing your friends to buy the starter pack. Whatever the multi-level park marketing starter pack is, you buy the starter pack. Most of the money is made on starter packs, and almost no one does anything with the starter pack. 
So it becomes just a waste of money. And, but that money went into the company and the company gives it to the top producers, the ones that are most persuasive of getting their friends to buy the starter pack. So this is what MLM does, which is why many attorneys general of, uh, of various states are very aggressive against MLM co companies because they're not about really selling a bona fide product. They're simply about convincing people, abusing people, and getting them buying the starter packs with really not caring at all whether they ever sell anything from the starter pack or sell anything else. If we just get you to buy the starter pack, that's success. We're going to go on and get somebody else to buy the starter pack and then somebody else. So that's what they go after because they view that as selling flesh, not selling a product. And then leverage, you probably heard the power of leverage. It's very common in the financial world to talk about leverage. You want to leverage things to maximize your profit. Uh, leverage is not your friend. Leverage is debt. If you go back prior to about 100 years from now, go back prior to the 1930s, people did not view leverage as a way to get rich. We do it today because we have been indoctrinated. We've been brainwashed with Keynesian economics. But you go back historically, that's not the way people viewed it. People viewed wealth as a product of hard work, wise decisions, you know, good teamwork, and the favor of God in guiding them and directing them. They were quick to, to point that out. Today, we think uh, wealth is a product of leverage. And uh, that's, that's the deception of where we in, we're in today. Ponzi schemes that rose up in the 1920s. Uh, that's a very popular thing. Ponzi schemes almost always happen when people are in a, in a, in a ditch uh, and things are not working well and they're concocting ways to get out of the ditch and whatever they concoct doesn't work. But it worked in the sense that they were able to get some money, but it wasn't enough money. So they have to go back to the well again and get more money. And that's still enough, not, not enough. But you got some, so they'll go back and more, but still not enough. So they keep going back to the well, go deeper and deeper with these schemes. And when they get the money, they're not spending the money the way they told the investors they were going to spend it. And so the investors are looking for where's the return. And so they have to create an illusion that there is going to be a return when all along there's not going to be a return at all. So these are very popular. They seem to be every year or so. One of them pops up and somebody is... Is, is basically deceived and and, and, and gotten a, a bunch of people to pay money into some investment that never was real. Then we have we have uh, companies that support sin. Uh, Ashley Madison supports adultery. Alibi Network supports lying. These are companies you can you can contract with these companies, pay them a fee, and they will help you commit sin. So these companies will lead to poverty. It's just a matter of time. And then, of course, the lottery, as we talked about briefly, the lottery participants and the lottery sponsors, they all know that if you win the lottery, it's probably going to destroy your life. But they keep doing it. And the reason they keep doing it is because it makes money for the sponsors. And the people that win it, they just think they'll be different. They won't destroy their life, and they become a statistic in the end most of the time. So these are ways that lead to poverty. And we talked earlier about hedonism. So just a quick a second reminder on that. James 4, 1 through 4, talks about very powerfully about how money is not to be used for our personal pleasure. So let me say that again. Money is not primarily to be used for our personal pleasure. 
So just listen to the words of James and pay attention to this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? He's talking to professing Christians, okay? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In other words, professing Christians are not fully sanctified. They have internal desires that are contrary to the will and ways of God. He goes on to say, you want something because you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Then he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Then he says the opposite. When you do ask, you will not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You see, most of you don't even ask, but those of you that do ask, you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. If you view money as a tool to you for you to do your will, to do what you want to do, that is not biblical thinking. That is pagan thinking. That will not get blessed. Now look what he says. Here's the curse. Here's the judgment he pronounces on these professing Christians who are viewing money incorrectly. He says, you adulterous people. He's talking to professing Christians, calling them adulterers. Can you imagine standing in front of a group of professing Christians and saying that who are largely inclined to think this way, that is money is about their pleasure, and saying, you adulterous people. I can't imagine anybody doing that today in front of a group of professing Christians. That would just be too direct. It would be too harsh. It would be viewed as judgmental. But James doesn't have a problem being in their face. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? When you start thinking that money is a tool for you to serve your pleasure, you're an enemy of God. You are an enemy of God. And if you're an enemy of God, you will not be blessed. God's enemies will get judged. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You choose to think like the world. If you choose to think like the world and you view money like the world and use money like the world, you will be an enemy of God. So this is the way to poverty. Sin is always at the root of poverty. It's not chance. It's not bad luck. It's not misfortune. It is sin. When you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, in other words, you seek God's will and you seek to do his will according to his ways, you will be blessed. It says that in Matthew 6, 33, all that you really need, not, not all that necessarily you think you need, but all that you really need, you will have. That's God's promise to us is that he always will fund his will. He will provide for us to do what he's called us to do. So may we have grace to recognize how God works and to learn to live in his blessings that come from alignment with him and be very quick to recognize when we have become misaligned. Because when we become misaligned with him, that is sin and sin leads to judgment. So may we have the grace to be quick to repent and slow to slide back into that trap and always be seeking God's will and God's ways and use God's provisions accordingly in Jesus' name. Amen.